Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andrew McGowan exposes the tactics of our enemy, Satan. So suit up in the armor of God and get ready for this thrilling teaching through Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Yesterday, I was able to go to my first time a place called Devil's Lake. And I thought, wow, how appropriate that I'm going to hike Devil's Lake when we're doing a series about the devil, right? And so I've never, I've, I've never hiked this. I've hiked all over the country, but like, I've never hiked a great trail in our backyard. In fact, go ahead and put a picture up there. We had our, uh, we had our Kenosha City Church Faith and Fitness group, and so they all made it. That's amazing, right? And so, but I'm a little sore this morning, and yes, even when I went to bed last night, I was like, man, I am really, really tired. And it's in these moments when we can become weak physically, or we can be weak uh, emotionally, or, or mentally, or, or even spiritually, the enemy likes to hit you hard. And he has a number of tactics in your in his tool belt uh, to go after you and your heart and your life. And so no, we're gonna, today we're going to unlock and look at some of those uh, enemy tactics. And again, we've purposely put this series in October because October is, well, it's where everybody turns their homes, it seems like, at least here in Kenosha, into a haunted house, all right? Anybody have some haunted houses in your neighborhood? Okay, it seems like people deck out their homes uh, here in Kenosha more for Halloween than they do for Christmas, I don't know. I didn't see that in Iowa. This must be a Kenosha thing. I don't know. Or maybe it's just a cultural thing now. I know that Halloween can be quite polarizing. All right. Some of you are like, I hate it. I want nothing to do with it. Some of you are like, eh, whatever. And and so people do fall on different uh, lines of reasoning uh, with this holiday. And I I do think we need to recognize that, yes, uh, people that love darkness love this. This is their Christmas. All right. So we need to recognize that. Also, I would really caution you against sending out your kids like Satan or witches or goblins or things like that. We have to question ourselves, why are we celebrating darkness? But at the same time, though, uh, there is a thing called trick-or-treat coming up. And I like to really leverage uh, this holiday for the gospel. All right, when, when any other time in, in, your, in the calendar year is your neighborhood literally outside wanting to talk to each other? Like, never, okay? And so wherever you fall on the spectrum of, of, of how you accept uh, trick-or-treating or whatever, uh, you know, you need to go before the Lord on that. But what I want to tell you is everybody should leverage this holiday uh, to talk to your neighbors, hand out invite cards, do something uh, to connect with neighbors that are willing to talk with you. I mean, when is it, uh, any other time of year, someone dressed up like Satan, you can invite him to church, all right? Never, okay? And so use this holiday as a time to connect people to Jesus. In fact, we've, uh, we've ordered more invite cards for you to pick up. I don't know if they're here today yet. They may be on their way, but by next week, you can pick up handfuls of invite cards. And what we encourage you to do is set a table up in front of your house, make some coffee, have full-size candy bars, show grace with that candy. I, you know, when these little like fun sizes are this big now, that's not grace, all right? Grace is a full-size candy bar, amen? Give it out to your neighborhood. Let the word say they're passing out full-size candy bars, but within that, make a little pack. Put invite cards in for city kids or for uh, Kenosha City Church. And let the city know about what God's doing right here. Leverage it. And I know there are people here today that I have met in my neighborhoods in the past. Isn't that right, Daryl? So anyway, uh, so it's amazing what God can do with that. But you know, um, as you prepare to think, okay, how can I reach my city during trick-or-treat? I grew up in a town that did not have trick-or-treating. All right, it was called beggar's night, all right? They wanted to stay away from the, the darkness of it, and they created this thing called beggar's night. Um, and, it, and this was the idea. You dressed up uh, into something nice, 
You knock on doors and you'd have to tell a joke uh, in order to get candy. I didn't know that this wasn't custom here in Kenosha. So the first time, uh, I, the first uh, Halloween that I was here in Kenosha, kids would come up to my door and I would say, hey, what's up? And they're trick or treat and they'd open up their bags. I'm like, and? And they looked at me like, what? It's like, you got to tell a joke. And they're like, no. It's like, well, no candy for you then, all right? So <laughs> I didn't know the rules. But my mom, she had big rules for beggar's night in Iowa. Uh, the rules were this. If you had a dirty costume, a, a, a dark, too dark of a costume, uh, if, if, she, if you told a dirty joke, you weren't getting candy. And I remember there was these preteens. They came up to the door once, and they all told their jokes, you know, why the chicken crossed the road, those type of jokes. And then finally got to this one kid. He was really being smug, and you could tell that he was going to say something, and boom, he told an R-rated dirty joke. And so my mom's like, all right. Here's some candy for you. Here's some candy for you. Here's some candy for you. No candy for you. And then she turns to the little kid looking like Satan. He told a clean joke and no candy for you. She didn't like kids dressing up like Satan, all right? <laughs> no candy for you. I knew when mom said that, I'm like, uh-oh, somebody came to the door. <laughs> and she didn't like them. Well, my mom really didn't like kids that told dirty jokes and dressed up like Satan. Those were her rules. It makes me think, though, in a season like this, when you see the Satan costumes, the horns, the pitchforks, they put them in the nice little cute kids are smiling, the irony of that. Why is it that we often think of Satan like this nice sly guy that has the horns, he's in a red suit with a pitchfork, and like, that's Satan. Now, why do we think that? And the reason being is somehow he was marketed, and somehow we've taken Satan, who is a a, a clear and present danger to every single one of our lives, somehow we've made him as fictional as the Easter Bunny. And the thing is, he is not fictional like the Easter Bunny. You can look at things in your life right now that seemingly are under attack, right? You can look at things in your life right now. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your kids. Uh, maybe you see the culture around you. And you're like, what is going on? And we know what's going on. We know the power of the prince of the air is somebody that scripture calls as Satan. And he's real. He's not the Easter bunny. He's not coming down the chimney at Christmas. Uh, he is a real enemy. Satan is a real and present danger. And many of you today, you know the struggle's real. You know it. In fact, I've been praying so hard for every single one of you that as we're doing a series called Not Today Satan, I'm like, we are setting ourselves up to being attacked right now, Right? And so guess what? We're going to pray even harder. We're going we're gonna to pray like, guess what? Greater is God. Greater is he than the one who's in the world, right? So we're not scared to talk about him and put him on notice, right? But the struggle is real. And when you're in the struggle, you may feel like you don't know what to do. You may, you, you, you may not know what to say or who to turn to. And for some of you, you may have the smile this morning. You may sing the songs, but inside, you've already given up. You know, this is the thing that we need to understand no matter where you're at in the struggle this morning is that Satan is not ultimately victorious. Did you know that? Satan is not ultimately victorious. So we need to start acting like that in our life in every aspect of our thought life and our actions, right? Satan is not ultimately victorious. He may be strong. He may cause damage. He may tear things apart. But the answer with your battle is not found in yourself. It's not found in this culture. It's not found in, in just trying to, you know, trying to do it all on your own strength. It's found in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that, church? Do we believe in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ? And this is our main idea as we unpack the tactics of the enemy. It's the power of God is greater than the schemes of Satan. 
The power of God is always stronger than the schemes of Satan. But as we hold on to that truth this morning, if you're not standing underneath the protection of the Lord God Almighty, I want you to know Satan is dangerous. I want you to know he is powerful. And I want you to know that he will break you in two without standing underneath the authority and power of the Lord God Almighty. But we have an advocate. We have an advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands to defend you and protect you uh, as you run to him. The power of God is greater than the schemes of Satan. But yet the enemy has tactics to defeat you. Today we're going to look at three truths that will help you be victorious. Three truths about God, one about Satan, and one about you. So let's take a look at our first one. If we are going to be victorious, you need to know this. God is in control. I mean, we know that, right? If you're like, did you know God's in control? Like, yeah, duh. Learned that in Sunday school, and I didn't even go to church for about 20 years. But I remember that when I was in fourth grade. Yeah, God's in control. But do we believe it? Do we actually believe that? Do we believe that when we are, when we are all just kind of like we're in the mirror in the morning, right? Uh, do, we, do we believe that when we don't have the answer to something? Do we believe that when we're being tempted and we're like, I, I think I'm going to give in? Do we believe that God is in control? The Bible mentions perhaps the biggest visual battle of control. It was in John chapter 4. In fact, I want to invite you to turn there in your Bibles or your Kenosha City Church app. John chapter 4. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, not John 4, Matthew chapter 4. I'm leaning you the wrong book. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> I love that. After fasting 40 days, he was hungry. I'm hungry if I miss a meal, all right? So, now just prior going into the wilderness, you need to know this in the context here, Jesus was just baptized. And when he was baptized, the Spirit of God descended on him and the voice of the Father said that, behold, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Talk about a mountaintop experience. Jesus being anointed and, and being commissioned for his earthly ministry. But the very next thing after he's commissioned into his earthly ministry is he finds himself in the wilderness. Look at this at verse 1 again. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now notice who led Jesus out into the wilderness. Notice this. Don't miss this. It was, it was not just Jesus taking a walk and he got lost. He's like, oh man, I took a wrong turn and now I'm in the wilderness. Uh, it, it was not... Satan saying, come this way, it's a shortcut. No, what we see here is that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Why in the world would the Spirit do that? Why would he lead him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Because God wants to demonstrate for you and I how to win in the spiritual battle. You see here, we see clearly the Spirit led, the Holy Spirit led the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to face the devil, to show us who is actually in control, to show us what obedience looks like in the face of temptation, to show us the strategies of our enemy, and so that we can be overcomers no matter the situation or temptation or strongholds we're facing. When we stay near to the Lord, we will see here he provides strategy. He provides wisdom. He provides the grit 
to face anything. Look at this, verse 2. The Holy Spirit, uh, he, look at this in verse 2. It says, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And what we notice here is that the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness, already empowered by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Why would he have him do that? So he's preparing him for the battle that he's going to meet. He's preparing him. A fast is when you physically abstain, typically from food. Uh, today we've had some modern twists on that. Sometimes people will fast from social media. I guess social media is as hard as not eating, I guess. Uh, sometimes people will do a partial fast because of dietary restrictions. Some people will just eat vegetables. Um, and so and sometimes vegan people will say, okay, I'll eat meat. But that's just a joke. Anyway, so. But the idea is this, is what you're taking away from your life when you begin to have that urge or that hunger to do that thing, you replace that with prayer and dependence upon God. And as each day goes on, it, you get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier, right? And you rely even more on God. That's the idea. And in, in this time, you can begin to hear the voice of God. You can begin to understand the strategies of God. Some of the most important things that have even happened in this church life is when we fasted. And so this fast prepared Jesus to face major satanic attacks. And Jesus was prepared. Do you feel prepared? If, if you were to know that you were to be attacked today, would you feel prepared to be tempted, to be tested? You see, Satan's tactic, and this is what we'll see very clearly here in the text, is to pull you away, away from time with the Lord, to pull you away with the understanding that you're in the presence of God. To pull you away with, with thinking God thoughts, of immersing yourself into his word, to depending upon him in your weakness. He wants you unprepared. And an unprepared believer is a believer preparing to fail. Did you know that? We walk into battles unprepared, but if you're unprepared, you're preparing yourself for failure. So if you're feeling defeated this morning, why do you feel defeated? Uh, listen, you need to understand this. The first thing in winning and being victorious and attacks from the enemy is knowing who's in control. God is in control, and we need to therefore trust him uh, in his word, and we need to trust him by, by his will that he has for our life. So again, verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. The devil himself. So God leads, but what we're going to see here is that Satan strays. God leads, he'll lead you exactly where he wants you to be, to prepare you, uh, to, to win, to be victorious, no matter what situation you're facing. But what we're going to see here is that Satan will, will cause you and attempt you to stray from the path. The devil. The devil is one of many names for Satan. Satan opposes all things of the Lord. There's not one good thing about Satan. Sometimes we try to negotiate with Satan, don't we? We try to say, okay, you know, I know God's word says this. I know I'm not supposed to do this. So I, I, I'm just going to do it my own way, just in this area, Lord. Maybe in this area of my relationship or this area of my job or this area of my family. I, I know this is what you want. I know you don't want me to be angry or, or gossip or, 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 or watch this type of movie. But God, you'll, you'll forgive me. And what we're doing is, is we're not just ignoring God, but we're bargaining with the enemy. See, it opposes the things of the Lord so much so that it's obvious in his name. His name, the old phrase, what's in a name? 
Well, when we look at scripture, when someone's named, they're named for a very specific reason. Today, naming has fallen on hard times. So it used to be that you would name somebody uh, to, because they had characteristics of something. Uh, but today we name things because we're sentimental. Maybe it's a name that a previous family member had, or maybe it's just in vogue. It's like, oh, that name is amazing. That movie star had that name. I'm going to name them Forrest, right? Andrew, my name, Andrew, Andy, means manly. <laughs> anyway, manly, I, I feel pretty good about that. My parents were hoping a lot for that, okay? Um, I, hope, I hope I met the name, Mom, all right? So, Allison means noble and truthful. I think she meets all that criteria, all right? Where I'm feeling, she's, she's rising to the occasion on that. Our, our son, Elias, was named after a grandparent. Etta was named after my grandma, but then it came down to Graham. And we really were just wondering, what's his name going to be? And we came down to two names, Emmett or Graham. We thought he was going to be Emmett, so much so that we had to fly uh, uh, to a destination and, and uh, Graham wasn't born yet. And so we're like, we had to put a name on a ticket. So Emmett is what we put on the ticket with American Airlines. And so every time we try to buy tickets now for the airfare, we see Emmett as one of our kids. He wasn't Emmett, he's, he's Graham. Now, why Emmett? Well, Emmett would have been in honor of one of the greatest inventors of all time, Emmett L. Brown, inventor of the time machine in Back to the Future, all right? Yeah, but we chose Graham, and I'm glad we chose Graham, named after one of my spiritual heroes, Billy Graham, all right? So we, we name, name, name people names because it sounds great, or we, we aspire them to be a certain meaning, or we really liked a movie, That means universal man? Oh, okay. Well, then I would have been okay naming him that. All right. So names have meaning. The character or enemy, his meaning is in plain sight. The devil, listen to this. The devil is a slanderer, a false accuser. He unjustly criticizes others to hurt. Uh, he, he tears people down. The devil, by his nature, wants to run his will through you. Now, the devil can be interchangeably used by the name Satan, uh, which in the Hebrew means adversary, which is literally an opponent, uh, opposed to the things of God, uh, an adversary. In fact, Satan, I believe, is like this, the old recessed bully. You know what I'm talking about? The loud mouth. He couldn't back up his words, but he's always, always talking and taunting. That is who the enemy is. He's an accuser. He says things that aren't true. He says things that ultimately will not be true. And he says things over you that is not your lot in life, but he wants it to be your lot in life. He is a bully, and he won't stop bullying until he is cast into hell at the end of time. He's a bully. Oh, man, he, this is how he does it. It's like you. What do you mean you're going to church this morning? You know what you did last night? You know what you did? You know what you did on the way here to church? The words that you are saying, the things that you're listening to, that the, I, you really think that you can go to church this morning. Oh yeah, that is how he accuses people to where literally people will do U-turns out of the parking lot. I've seen it before. People do this U-turn. I call them up like, hey, I, I saw you at church for a second. What happened? I just, I didn't feel like I was worthy going into the church doors. Wait, what? Who told you that? The enemy is an accuser. He wants nothing more to separate and sever your relationship with Jesus 
where you can hear from him and hear his truth. But God is greater. But are you seeing Satan is stronger? Next week, we're going to spend a whole session on the accusations of the enemy. But I want you to know, without God, Satan would be unstoppable. But he is stoppable. In fact, Satan is on a chain. He could be a lot worse than what he is. Satan is a, is, is a, is a, is a rabid dog on a chain. So where did he come from? Have you ever thought about that? Like, okay, Satan is this rabid dog on a chain. God's greater than him. God's in control. Where did he come from, God? Like, why did you allow him to even come into existence? I mean, we've, you've had to have thought that question, right? Like, why? Well, originally, Satan was an angel. And angels, just like you and I at one point in time, had to make the decision uh, to follow wholeheartedly God. Uh, many commentators believe that Satan was of the highest order, the angel of the highest order. But he was filled with pride and wanted to be God himself. Now, angels are not God. Angels are not humans. They're a completely different created being. Uh, and after the creation, just after the creation account, there was a moment where Satan said, I want to be God. And in that moment, he took a number of people with him. And unlike human beings, there is no plan of salvation for angels. And so when angels fall, they become what scripture says, they are demons. Let's take a look at when uh, Satan fell. This is in Isaiah chapter 14. I'll put it on the screen for you. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens, you destroyer of nations. You have cut, been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I'll make myself like the most high, but you will be brought down to Sheol in the deepest regions of the pit. This comes from the prophet Isaiah. And he's actually speaking prophetically a pronouncement against the earthly king of Babylon. But it is not unheard of and actually uncommon in Hebrew prophetic speech to describe, at that time, current human events from a real spiritual event that preceded. And this real spiritual event, again, is when Satan fell. We see here he's the chief rebel. He was called the morning star, which, again, the King James Version translates Lucifer, which means to shine. Again, being that top angel, he did not want to bow before the throne. He wanted to sit in the throne. He did not want to worship God. He wanted to be God and be worshipped like God. And in this rebellion, many commentators believe he took a third of the angels with him. And those are the demons today that are running around the world uh, trying to tempt you and nation, national leaders. You name it. And that is exactly what it, we see here. Satan is the chief rebel today. The spirit of Satan is to influence you and I and others to rebel against the things of God. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says... There, the devil's first aim is to give you an anesthetic, to put you off guard. Only if that fails do you become aware of them. He wants you to be so unaware of, of the enemy this morning because he is running havoc and has been running havoc since their fall. And even though angels fell, God is still in control. So this is where they came from. They were angels. God's still in control. God has them on a leash. And God wants you to walk in reality of his victory because of that. So when you mess up, uh, you don't need to walk in defeat. Uh, you can get right back up. And the reason being is this. When Jesus Christ came, 
Victory was bought on the cross. Listen to this, Colossians 2, 13 through 14. Let me read it to you. When you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Here it is, verse 15, listen. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly and he triumphed over them in him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was triumphant. It is finished. They are finished. Satan is finished. It's really what we can say, not today, Satan. It's not just some kind of cute saying that, I I hope I can be victorious. We know we can be victorious. We know we can stand here today and say, not today, Satan, because we stand behind a victorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, it is finished on the cross. Now, some of you are like, okay, that's great. I believe all that, but I want this question answered. All right, Satan was an angel, he fell, and, and Jesus Christ came to be victorious. But why doesn't he reel him in right now? You know, when you're walking a dog and, and, they're on a, and they're on a leash and they're doing something bad, why doesn't he just rein him in right now? It's a good question. And let me answer it this way. It's because our Savior has an immensely long fuse of grace. A long fuse of grace. Let's put this in our perspective. How often are we so stubborn in our ways and God is just up there like, often we think that God is getting ready to just strike us down with a lightning bolt at the minute that we do something wrong. That's not our God. Our God has a long fuse, a long fuse of grace where he's calling us back to him. Because of that, The broken world continues. We do know there will be a time, it's called in the fullness, when Christ says he's coming back. And when he comes back, Satan's time is no more and he's reined in and he's cast into the pit. But until then, the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord allows people to come to him. When does that time end? We don't know. But until that time, the long fuse of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us opportunity to become more like him. It gives us opportunity to, to confess before him when we, when, we, when we fail in certain areas of our life. And it gives us the opportunity to share Jesus to people that don't know him. The power of God is greater than the schemes of Satan. God is in control and Satan knows this. Satan knows that God is in control. So secondly, Satan wants control. If God's in control, Satan's like, okay, I want it. I want control. And by the way, Satan knows this. He's a defeated foe. He knows it. And yet he still wants control. He tries to hit you hard when you are most vulnerable. He tries to hit you hard when you're most vulnerable. When are you most vulnerable, by the way? When are you the weakest in your life when you make decisions? When are you weakest when, 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 um, when, when you know you're about ready to make that bad decision or you're ready to give in to that temptation or addiction? When are you weakest? Perhaps it's when you're tired. And you're having that conversation with your spouse. And you know, if I keep talking, this is going to go a really bad direction, right? Men, you've done that before, haven't you, right? Some of you are like, "Uh uh-uh. No, yeah, I'm all right. Maybe it's in that stressful season. 
and you begin to release that stress with addictions that take you deeper and deeper. Maybe it's Saturday mornings and Saturday afternoons, guys, that you're, you're so into sports, but now that gambling's been so legalized, you're, you're, you are in debt hard. Maybe it's when you're feeling alone and lonely. And you begin to think thoughts, you begin to think low of God, you begin to think low of yourself. It's often when you're the most vulnerable, when you feel like everything's going awesome. Did you know that? It's often when you're the most vulnerable, when you think everything in life is going awesome. It's not when you're low. Yes, when you're low, you're vulnerable, but it's actually when you're on the mountaintop. You can become very vulnerable. Why? Let me explain. When I was a youth pastor, uh, we had a number of years where we literally had five, six, seven, eight students come into Christ on a weekly basis. Uh, I look back, it's like a bonafide revival, okay? Um, and some of you are like adults and you remember that and you're sitting here and you remember that, right? And so it's like, wow, this is awesome. But something happened every Monday. And it didn't take me to like, I don't know, about 12 of these Mondays in a row to I kind of figured out what was going on. I'd wake up Monday morning and I felt so low. Like, way low. Like, and it's probably because I'm tired, okay? But I felt low, and I felt like, man, am I being effective? Is the words what I'm saying actually changing people's lives? Am I, should I even be a youth pastor? Should I, and I, I just would spiral out of control in my, in my head to where I was thinking, maybe I shouldn't even, like, do this job anymore. And I realized, wait. Satan knows if he can take residency up in my head, he could try to hijack the following weekend. And I realized, and I finally caught on to what, he, what was happening. Uh, Allison began to speak truth into my life. I would get on my knees and I'd pray and I'd literally say, not today, Satan. I know what you're saying, not today. I know that this weekend, God's gonna show up in people's lives. I know that lives are gonna be changed and transformed. I know that when the word of God is spoken, it does not return void. I know that you can say a bunch of things. I know that when I focus on myself and not the Lord, I, I, will, I will spiral and think about myself more and think about God less. I'm gonna think about God more, and if I have time, maybe I'll look at myself in the mirror. But until then, we gotta believe that when, when the weekend comes, that people's lives are going to change in this room. we got to believe that when we leave this room and you guys scatter all throughout Kenosha and the surrounding counties, people's lives are going to change. Why? Because the word of God does not return void. I had to get this in my head. The enemy was taking a residency in my head. Why? Because I believe this. I was on a mountaintop experience on Sunday night. And on Monday morning, I was in the valley. My guard was let down and the enemy took up residence on Monday morning. We often see this in scripture. We often see this, uh, we see this in, in the Old Testament where Israel would have great victories in the Lord and then all of a sudden they'd be worshiping idols the next day. Oh, we saw this, uh, I would say most famously by Elijah where he literally struck down the prophets of Baal and the next day he was asking God to take his life. Uh, uh, we, we see this, the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament and when he's told later on that he had this, Thorn from Satan. He asked God three times to remove it. We don't know what it was. Some people think it was tormenting from Satan himself. Some people thought it was a physical ailment like epilepsy. We don't know. But he asked God, God, please take away this thorn from the enemy. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. I'll get you through this. We see the early church when thousands upon thousands of people would give their lives to Jesus. And then the next chapter over, people are literally rebelling and fighting each other in the church. 
Satan loves to take defeat out of the jaws of victory. And he does this when we let our guard down. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Our God loves to make victory out of what seems impossible. God is in control, but Satan wants to take control of your life. Let's go back to the desert now, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 again. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, in the struggle of Jesus and Satan, we can't miss this. Jesus didn't go into the wilderness as just a human being. Jesus went into the wilderness as God incarnate, which means this, 100% God, 100% man. He had the nature of God and the nature of humanity without sin. It's called, uh, if you really want to know this, hypostatic, the hypostatic union, all right? You're like, you want to write that down to be smart? Hypostatic union, there we are. But the union of Christ's human nature and his divine nature in one person. The word became flesh. Jesus didn't sin, but yet he still got tired. And yet he still got hungry. And yet he experienced pain and he, and he wept and he eventually died and rose from the dead. And during the 40-day fast, Satan sees an opportunity in Jesus' physical weakness to attack. To attack. Verse 3. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now notice verse 3. Jesus is going after Jesus, Satan's going after Jesus in his physical uh, hunger. And Satan is named here the tempter. Greek for temptation is one to maliciously, craftily put to the proof of his feelings or judgments to try to test one's virtue, character, by enticement to sin or solicit, or, or solicit to sin. Temptation is always malicious. Satan was maliciously tempting Jesus to say, hey, you say you're the son of God? Prove it. Prove it. Make these stones turn into bread. Prove it. Man, I don't know if you ever, if you remember, you know, being young or if you are young or you see little young ones. There's two things that are really powerful in the English language, two phrases. Do it and prove it, right? It's like this challenge where immediately you pop up, I'm like, I'll show you. Like, I'm the fastest runner in the neighborhood. I once said that when I was a kid and then someone said, prove it. I was not the fastest. I was the slowest, right? But when someone says prove it, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, guess what? I'm going to show you. And that's exactly what Satan is doing to Jesus. Prove it. Turn the bread to stones. He was appealing to Jesus' divine nature by asking him to do a miracle and end his physical hunger by turning these stones into bread to satisfy this hunger. Now, the real issue is this. I mean, Jesus could have just in every day turned stones into bread. That's not necessarily the sin. It's that Satan is asking Jesus to prove himself, thus by breaking the command by God of saying fast. You see, Satan always wants you to deviate from the plan of the Lord. And he may say things logically that don't seem that bad. But what did God say? And God told Jesus to fast for 40 days. And Satan was appealing to the logic 
He was appealing to his physical hunger, the logic of how could a good God lead you out to the desert if you're hungry? How could a good God allow you to die out in the desert? And Jesus could be like, oh yeah? Well, he's a good God. Watch, I'll do exactly what you're asking me to do. I'm gonna prove myself. But in proving himself, he would have entered in the temptation of Satan. And temptation is always self-serving and not God-serving. Jesus responds to the temptation with scripture. Pause here for a moment. Notice what Jesus does here with the temptation. He answers the temptation with scripture. With scripture. Jesus needed the leading of the spirit. He needed the words of the Bible to get through this temptation. The the God-man, Jesus Christ, needed the power of the Holy Spirit. He's led out there by the spirit. He needed the power of God's word to not answer the satanic temptation. How much pride do we have if we feel like we don't need the Holy Spirit? How much pride do we have if we, if we feel like we don't need the word of God, right? And yet today, the church is not being led by the spirit in many ways. And today the church is not reading the Bible. We know this by stats. We know this by, by surveys. And it's because Satan's number one tactic to control you is keeping you from the word of God. If Jesus needed to be in the word, so do we. Satan wants you to stray from the word of God and the spirit of God to be conformed to his desires and not God's desires. He wants you to get in a spot where you tell God, I will believe in you if you do this. I once had a friend do that once. He was studying to be a pastor. And he wanted to go to Trinity with me. And in his past, uh, his past years, uh, he was a partier. He partied hard. And then he started going to worship services. And, and his, it appeared that his life was radically changing. And he's like, I want to go to school with you at Trinity. I was like, oh, that'd be awesome. And so uh, he applied. And he had to do some different things in his application because his grades were so bad. And eventually they told him, no, you can't come. You're going to have to wait a year. And I remember being on the phone with him. And he was screaming at the top of his lungs. He said, how could a good God do this? I'm going to do an appeal. And if God doesn't answer this appeal, then I don't know if I'm going to believe in him any longer. He lost the appeal. And today he's walking as an atheist. You see, that's exactly where God wants us. Or Satan wants us, excuse me. Satan wants us in a spot where we question God. Where we say, okay, God, if you do this, then I'll follow you. But if you don't do this, I'm doing my own thing. And what God wants you to do this morning is he wants you to be a person of the spirit, a person of the word, and follow him no matter the cost. Since the very first human beings, the temptations of the devil has been to get you off the plan of God. He doesn't want you in the word. But what if you are in the word? What if you appeal to the word of God as God's authority? Well, Satan has another tactic, and we see this with Jesus. Satan will twist the word of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, It is also written, do not test the Lord your God. So Satan failed to appeal to Jesus' senses, his logic and his physical, so he's going to appeal to his spiritual. Okay. You don't want to turn the the stones to bread? All right. 
will show that you're God by standing on top of the temple. It's 450 feet high, all right? Uh, and, and just throw yourself down. And, and, and Satan begins to quote uh, Psalms. He begins to quote the Psalms, and Psalm 91, 11 specifically, out of context and says, your angels will pick you up. We just prove yourself. I'll go away. Just prove yourself. Satan is twisting Psalm 91. And Jesus responds to Satan with scripture in context. Man, oh man, I want to tell you something right now, church. There are a lot of people peddling a lot of evil today and they are backing it up with Bible verses abound. Uh, With Bible verses, more verses that you, you might even know yourself. They're Bible verses that are taken out of context. They're Bible verses that are not honoring the word of God. They're being used so that whatever someone's peddling can be propped up. It is a tool of the enemy. So not only do you need to be in the word of God, and I say this with fear this morning, I believe the American church as a whole is not in the word of God, uh, but not only do we need to be in the word of God, but we need to understand it in its proper context. We need to understand it by how the Holy Spirit inspired it so that we can understand it and follow Jesus accordingly. Do we understand that? Satan understands this. Uh, again, Jesus appealed to scripture. I'm not going to do what you're, you're tempting me to do. And so Satan's like, okay, well, the Bible says this. Oh, man, we're hearing this today when it comes to things such as salvation. Oh, you can be saved by many ways, right? Why? Uh, here's a Bible verse. Oh, your, your sexuality is what you make of it. It used to be, well, that's against the Bible. Now there are people like, I got 15 verses I'm going to throw at you, Right? You name it, there are people today that are going to defend that position as what they would say as a Christian by Bible verses that are taken out of context. You want to know why the devil doesn't show up at your door and knock at your heart with horns and a pitchfork? It's way too obvious. He's going to show up just like his original name, Lucifer, uh, as an which means luster of light. He's going to try to show up as an angel of light, sounding very biblical, when in fact he's twisting it and he's leading you astray. Satan wants to lead you astray. Get in his word, but it's not enough just to get in his word. Study it, live it, breathe it, understand it. Satan has been questioning the word of God since the garden, and he's questioning and twisting the word of God today. I love this quote from John MacArthur. In many cases, individual feelings and personal experiences have replaced sound biblical interpretation. The question, what does the Bible mean to me, has become more important than what does the Bible mean? This is frightening, reckless approach to scripture. It undermines biblical integrity and authority of a, by implying personal experience should be sought more than understanding scripture. It's possible, listen to this, I want to tell you something very controversial today. It is possible to understand objective truth today. Did you know that's a controversial statement? What people want to do is they want to say, well, this is my truth, and this is your truth. But that can't be further from the truth. There is an objective truth, and God wants us to understand his truth. His truth will lead you to his freedom. But it takes studying the totality of God's word with humility. 
and letting it guide every area of your life. If you're not guided by the word of God, you're gonna be guided by the culture around you. And it might sound biblical, but it might not be biblical. You must be in the word of God to test it all. Because Satan, he twists it. The word of God, we can take God at his word and we will take God at his word and we must obey God's word no matter what controversy may come. Amen? The power of God is greater than the schemes of Satan, but without the word, you will fall to the schemes of the enemy. So not only is he a scripture twister, but he also wants something else in your Christian experience. He wants your worship. He wants your worship. We see this in verse eight. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I'll give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. Worship. Worship is declaring the worth of something. It's declaring what is most important in your life. What do you hold valuable in your life? What do you worship? What's that number one spot in your life? We praise what we worship. And that's why we sing every Sunday. We wanna praise and lift high Jesus Christ as, as greater than anything else, but your praise is gonna be conflicted if Jesus actually isn't number one in your life. Praise falls flat when worshiping something else to a higher degree. So what do you praise? What do you worship in your life? What's number one? A good indicator of what you worship is what you get most excited by. You know, there will be a lot of cheering on Sunday mornings. There'll be a lot of cheering this morning, but it won't be under the roof of a church. It'll be on the fields of sports where people are getting a touchdown and goals. There'll be more praise and worship in stadiums across the country than there will be in churches. And I will say this, I expect people that don't know Jesus to do that. But what about us? What do we hold as most important? We are worshiping people, we worship something, and Satan wants it. He wants our worship. So Satan finally takes Jesus to a very tall mountain. He says, worship me. Now this seems absurd. When I've read through the temptations of Jesus, I'm like, why would Satan think that Jesus would worship him? Like, Jesus owns everything. It's all his, right? Why would Satan do this, right? It's like someone coming to my house saying, I'd like you to buy my house. This is my house. Nope, I'd like you to, it's really cheap. I already own it, right? And so this one confused me. Who does Satan think he is? But this is what pride does. It makes us think of ourselves, believes things about ourselves that are just simply not true. Satan was offering to Jesus something that, was not his, but this is what he was ultimately offering him. He was offering Jesus to live for himself. You can have the kingdoms of the world if you bow down and worship me. You can have it all, you can serve yourself. You don't have to go through the suffering and pain. You don't have to go through all this life of ministry. Just worship me and it's yours. Man, this is the enemy's aim for you this morning. His aim is that you will exchange eternity so you can live for yourself now. Do what you want. You can have it now. Buy it now. Get it now. Now is your satisfaction. 
You don't need to be a worshiper of Satan, a Satan worshiper uh, for Satan to get you. He just needs you to be distracted. He just needs you to be uh, diving in and drowning in the affections of the day that have no eternal worth. You can have all this world and you can have it now, but it's gonna cost you a lot. No, false worship, it manifests itself in a number of ways. False philosophies, false religions. And by the way, any false religion is this, anything that takes away from the cross of Christ or adds to the cross of Christ. If people say, well, you need to believe in Jesus and you died on the cross and then you rose from the dead and you need to do all these things and then you're saved, eh, wrong. That's a false religion. It's a cult. The enemy wants to peddle false doctrine, false righteousness. Uh, the enemy loves this in the church. He loves us to, to have imbalanced passions. This is where we get mixed up a lot. Churches fight over, over pet passions, from the carpet color to the style of music to the personality of the pastor to fringe doctrines. And when people get all passionate about things that are of minor value, it stops up what's most important. And what we have to say to all these things in our life is not today Satan. We believe lives will be transformed through the gospel. We believe that he is a chain breaker. We believe that marriages will be healed through Christ. We believe that addictions can stop. We believe in the 180, where you're walking one direction and God captures you and turns you around and you're transformed. Do we believe that, church? Because the power of God is greater than the schemes of Satan. This leads us to our third point as we land Satan strays, but God empowers you to win the fight. God empowers you to win the fight. Ephesians 6, verse 10. We're going to tee up a passage we're going to get into extensively in two weeks. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Remember that, church. Uh, when you're wanting to get in a fight with your neighbor or someone at work, it's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heaven. Our battle is not in the physical, it's in the spiritual. And some of you today are like, I want nothing to do with that battle. I'm going to hide from it. And then you're going to become a victim of it. You need to be so entrenched in the things of God, so filled with the Holy Spirit, your mind so renewed by Scripture, that you're willing to follow Christ into anything. That yes, you are a target, but you're protected. You're protected by the Lord God himself. I love what uh, Leonard Ravenhill says. He says, my main ambition in life is to be the de on the devil's most wanted list. My main ambition in life is to be on the devil's most wanted list. God has given you everything you need to win. In fact, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, he has given you to the right to be called children of God, which means this, he is fighting for you. If God is for you, who could be against you? Satan knows God's in control. He'll try to take control by making you stray away from God, by twisting scripture, by hijacking your worship. But God has given you the tools to say, not today, Satan. So here are the take home. What are these tools? We know the ambitions and tools of the enemy, what he wants to do. He, wants to, he really wants you to stray from the word. He wants to twist the word. He wants to hijack your worship. What are our tools? It's time, it's talk, and it's treasure. You need to guard your time with the Lord. Guard it. Get back into his word. 
You need to spend, you need to make space for the Lord where you can just begin to hear his voice, pray for him, talk with him. I want to give a shout out to, there's some, there's some people that come, I believe at eight in the morning, and they pray for this service every Sunday. I, I, I'm so thankful for that. There's never more, I'm just going to give you a little in here. There's never more time of more spiritual battle uh, than on Sunday morning. And, and I, I just feel it, I, I know it, and, and it's, it's crazy. Uh, us as pastors, we feel it. And it's crazy, by the time we get up here, it just, you just feel the, just the presence and peace of God. Thank you. If anybody wants to join them at eight in the morning, get here at eight in the morning and pray, because I really cherish and covet your prayers uh, each and every morning. But take time, make space in your everyday life for the Lord. Get into his word. Get into a, a city group where you can, you can meet people and, 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 and encourage one another. Your talk. Can you go a whole day without talking about God? Can you go a whole day without talking to God? What are the words coming out of your mouth? The words that are coming out of your mouth, Jesus said, are a reflection of what's in your heart. So begin to guard your words and begin to reserve words that are going to encourage people in the Lord every day. How are you going to talk to people? And finally, treasure. This goes back to worship. What do you treasure? What do you treasure most? And therein lies of how and why you act out in the way that you do during your day. Your treasure. For some of you, you're, you might treasure sports more than anything. For some of you, you may, just tre you may treasure your family. But sports aren't bad. Family's definitely not bad. That's a gift from the Lord. But you could treasure good things. You could treasure bad things where they hijack the main thing. And the what, the what you treasure will reflect on how you spend your time, how you talk to others, what you spend your money on, what you believe about the future. God wants you to treasure him today of the utmost. And I know there's things going on in your life that may be incredibly difficult. Like, man, I just wish my spouse could hear this. Man, I wish my children could hear this. Man, I wish I was just feeling better that I could actually take this in. Man, I just wish that my future was a little bit more solid I don't know how I'm going to pay bills. I don't know if I'm going to have a job. All these things conspire from you taking your attention off and treasuring God the most. Remember, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Remember, he's in control. Remember that when we run to him, he's got it all figured out. And I'll tell you what, one of the number one things I hear that are getting people kind of off-centered is they're looking at the culture around them and they're seeing rapid change and there's been rapid, rapid change in our culture and away from the things of God. And it can be this very thing that you are rightfully saying and, and lamenting at that the lament has actually become the most important thing. Instead of saying, God, I trust you with what I'm seeing and I don't like. When you trust God more than your lament, he empowers you to be the solution. You see, God doesn't want us just to know that we're going to be okay. He wants us to walk in the victory so that we can be the solution to what's not okay. So treasure the Lord above anything else and it begins to unlock everything else that we so desire. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you indeed... Uh, 
are stronger than the enemy's tactics. We know that ultimately he has other different things that he wants to do. He wants to attack us when we're vulnerable. He wants us to pull away from scripture. He wants to twist scripture. He wants to hijack our worship. But God, we know that you're stronger than all of that. We know that our circumstances are, he loves to take those circumstances and just scream at us. He wants to point at everything that's wrong. But God, may we look at you and treasure you who is perfect and right. God, I pray that you would unleash these people here today, and myself included, that we'd be filled with your Holy Spirit. That God, that would not only would we not fear what we're facing, but you unleash us to be the solution to the problems of this world. The solution is your gospel. The solution is being a fully devoted follower of Christ, that no matter what's happening, our equilibrium is not being thrown to and fro because we stand firm on your foundation. Just as we continue to pray, I want to speak to anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus as Savior. You see, you might be looking at symptoms in your life and you want God to intervene there, but you need first the solution before you can deal with the symptom. And the solution is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this world, not just to be baptized and to be tempted in the desert. He ultimately came to die, to die for you. He died on a cross. And when he was on that cross, he endured the wrath of God. The wrath of God for what? For your sin. You see, he paid, he stood in your place for all the wrong, all the sin that you've ever committed in the past, in the present, and yes, in the future. He did that so that you may be forgiven. Jesus died, but three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death, and now he's offering you the opportunity to be made new in him. So how do you do this? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus or you're unsure, you can do it right now. Just tell him, say, Lord Jesus, I, I, want, I need your forgiveness. I'm asking you to be my Savior and Lord. I, I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. Help me follow you now. If that's you, just know this, that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. For all who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not by works. It's all by what Jesus did. We just tell him that. We just, we just ask him to step into your life right now. In fact, I, I'm, if, if that's you this morning, with no one looking around, on the count of three, just raise your hand up high if that's you this morning. You've been play, you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You, you asked Jesus to come into your life this morning. If that's you, no one looking around, on the count of three, raise that hand up high. One, two, three. Raise that hand up high and say, yeah, it's you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Great. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that are saying yes to you today. Thank you, Jesus, for those that are saying they need, they need uh, forgiveness of their sins. Help them follow you with their entire life now. Lord, I just continue to pray for this entire church now, for those that have been in the faith for a while or maybe even a few weeks. God, I just pray that you would strengthen them, that you fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, whatever they're facing in their life, they know that this is not, they don't have to succumb to it. That you, they are victorious in you. So God, I pray they would run to you, become students of your word. They'd submit to your spirit. And God, I pray that you would unleash influencers in this community for your gospel. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church 
or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.